the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website and your host for the CU at the Game podcast. Well, so much for a bye week. Welcome to a special edition of the podcast. I am joined for this episode by Brad Geiger and Neil Langland, and we will discuss the dismissal of Carl Durrell as the head coach at the University of Colorado, as well as the future of the program. We start by taking a look back at the Carl Durrell era. Durrell had an 8-15 record at CU, including a 6-9 record in Pac-12 play, earning Pac-12 Coach of the Year honors in 2020. Yet, after a 4-0 start in Boulder, things went south in a hurry, with the start of the 2022 season setting records. Historically bad records. We then move on to the press conference conducted by CU Athletic Director Rick George, Chancellor Phil DiStefano, and interim head coach Mike Sanford. So eyebrow-raising and discouraging were the comments from George and DiStefano that Sanford and the remainder of the 2022 season quickly became afterthoughts. So, is Rick George really going to go forward with his next hire without any outside consultation? Is Phil DiStefano so out of touch with regard to present-day recruiting and transfer needs that the next head coach is doomed to failure even before he's hired? Should the next head coach at Colorado have head coaching experience, or is a hot young coordinator the way to go? Should previous connections to CU be a prerequisite for the job, or a disqualifying characteristic? Which names on the compiled lists of potential candidates jump out as the most enticing. Let's find out. Okay, and we're back. And joining us is Brad. I thought I had another week of vacation with Geiger. How are things in Highlands Ranch? Uh, things are high, in Highlands Ranch are nice after a week in the big island of Hawaii. I am tan and rested, if not particularly ready. <laughs> okay. And from downtown Denver, Neil, looking down upon the populace Langland, how are you today? I'm fine. Had some nice rain here a little while ago. Feels really nice and fallish, but none of that can over uh, overcome the no joy in Mudville mood that exists in this town today. Yeah. Dismal state of football in this state. Well, uh, unless you're in Colorado Springs, I don't know, maybe Mesa's doing well. Uh, Fort Lewis, UNC, there's always lots of football. You can always root for Cherry Creek, I guess. But for the University of Colorado, after an 0-1-5 start, to almost no one's surprise, Carl Durrell was relieved of his duties when he got back from the Arizona game. Durrell finished with an 8-15 and overall record at CU. Six and nine in Pac-12 games, which might be a little bit of a surprise. It wasn't, you know, just doing pretty well in Pac-12 overall, but after a 4-0 start to the 2020 season, 4-15 and since then. He did have five seasons at UCLA, where it was 35 and 27. In five seasons, he went to five bowl games and was the Pac-12 coach of the year in 2020, which perhaps is a bad omen because Mike McIntyre was – Pac-12 Coach of the Year in 2016, and two years later he was gone. 
Now, Carl Durrell was Pac-12 coach of the year in 2020, and two years later, he is gone. So, Neil, I'll start with you. What was wrong with just big overview, Carl Durrell? Was it the, the timing of the hire that we just didn't have much to pick from in February of 2020 after midnight melt after Michigan State? That we didn't have a chance to get the right guy and he just happened to be literally the guy up the street that we hired or was there other factors that were involved in Carl Durrell not succeeding at the University of Colorado? Well I think following in McIntyre's footsteps with coach of the year that's kind of like a kiss from Michael Corleone so <laughs> um, I think that the timing of it was awful and I, I I thought at the time, boy, this is going to be tough to do, pull anything out of this because loses a recruit a recruiting class, doesn't get all the coaches he wants, has some coaches crammed down his throat, according to many reports. And I think with that abbreviated season, it threw more havoc into this program than a program without those challenges of a new coaching staff and all of that. My other reservation about Durrell was, as you mentioned, his UCLA record along with his, uh, was it Vanderbilt, his one year as OC there, um, and his died in the wool status, third thing uh, of the NFL system. And I think we talked about it here a few times that um, an offense that works in the pros or a defense that works in the pros is based on the assumption of fairly level talent based upon the draft and so on. That assumption didn't work here. So initially I thought it was gonna be a hard, hard thing to do. And it turned out to be even worse than I expected. Yeah, well, Brad, I mean, we wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt. And certainly when he started off with a 4-0 record in a national ranking, we were all riding the Carl Durrell bus, but not since, not so much since then, but we didn't think it was over. I mean, he was there certainly on the hot seat to start the season, but when did we know that uh, this was coming to an end? Probably as soon as the end of the Air Force game. I mean, we, before the season, when we talked, we discussed that we needed to show that the talent that there was more talent and that the talent had been developed and coached. We were willing to give a new coaching staff some, some leeway to see what they could do. The TCU game was disappointing in every possible way. We got out coached and out talented. And by the way, that's turned out to be a pretty decent TCU team, but to go to Colorado Springs to face that team and to just flat out, let's admit it, be humiliated, um, run over, beat up, out-muscled, out-played, out-coached. It just at that point was difficult to see how this bunch of coaches and this sadly bunch of players were going to be able to step it up against an increased level of talent in the Pac-12. So I think we knew that this was coming. Uh, Minnesota confirmed it. And this is just, it's not a good team. And it's not a well-coached team. Things that we kind of liked about Durrell when he came in, you know, his calm attitude, his very workmanlike behavior, began to look in the end kind of like disinterest. You could you began to wonder if how he was getting players to care when it never appeared that he did. Now that's his personality, and that may work for him in certain circumstances. But I mean, let's face it, he was not our first or second or third choice. He was the guy we got. We tried to make the best of it. When he was coaching in a strange circumstance with other player, other coaches' players, he had some skills. But the bottom line is the failure of Carl Durrell is not on-field coaching. It's his inability to recruit, keep, and develop talent. Okay. Well, Neil, we all, when we went game by game through the CU season, we were looking for, hoping for a five and seven campaign it would take, you know, something this side of a minor miracle to get to five and seven at this point. So where did we go wrong in our projections that this team not only was not is not winning games, but is ranked at or near the bottom of almost every offensive 
category and almost every defensive category. I mean, it's not even close to being respectable. You know, the idea of being the worst Power Five program sailed a couple of weeks ago. The depths of being one of the worst programs in 131 FBS teams. So how in a month from the beginning of September, Labor Day weekend to now the beginning of October, how can this team gotten have gotten so bad so quickly? Well, I don't think that they sank appreciably during that time. Speaking for myself, uh, I was trying not to be a pessimist and trying to see the brighter side and all the statements coming out of the coaching staff and out of CU and uh, the beat reporters was this new staff is marvelous. They are miracle workers. They're a tremendous improvement over what we had before. We've added some talent and we think we don't have a net loss in talent based upon what we lost in the portal, we gained in transfers and in freshmen. So we also believed, at least I believed, that there was this notion of our defensive line and front seven are going to be terrific. They're experienced, they're deep, and we really, really think that they're going to be a strength. And what we need to worry about is the secondary. Well, I tried, I, I actually bought that stuff. And turns out that it could not have been further from the truth. And I yeah. think Darrell and his coaches were, they knew that they didn't have the talent and they, they were just trying to be gentlemanly and to be good coaches and defend their players when they had to know truly that something like this was a distinct possibility. So yeah. I think they were bad from the beginning and it just took TCU I have to make the adjustments necessary to demonstrate that. Yeah. Well, picking up the pieces, it started with a press conference announcing the dismissal with uh, athletic director Rick George, Chancellor Phil DiStefano, and the new interim head coach, Mike Sanford. And they always talked about when you get a new coach, the first thing you want to do is win the press conference, win the first press conference. Well, I think it's safe to say, based upon the reaction, that the first press conference was lost. We'll have to see what the new head coach can come up with. But, Brad, let me give you the quote from Rick George about what he's looking for, what he's going to do, or how he perceives things in terms of the search, and get your reaction to that. Rick George at the press conference announcing the termination of Carl Durrell. We will be diligent in our search process and we will be incredibly thorough. We will leave no stone unturned in our quest to get this football program back to national prominence. Over the next few months, you'll read a lot of things on social media, we all do. When you hear from me on our next head coach, that's when you'll know. Between now and then, I won't be commenting on the specifics of the search. This time around, we'll have two months in front of us to get the best coach for the job to the and to that end, I'll be working in consulting with football people that are knowledgeable, that are former buffs, that have agreed to help advise me during this process. Anything in there about a search committee? It sounds like we have a search committee of one and or two again. Uh, what was your reaction to Rick George's statement as to how the search is going to be conducted? Well, I'm very glad that Rick, as usual, left no cliche unuttered. He's asking us to trust him when there's no grounds for us to trust him. I mean, that's the bottom line. I think Rick George has done good things for overall athletics at CU. But in the end, in 2022, you're judged by how you hire coaches and how you keep coaches. And there's no reason to trust Rick George about that. And for him to come out and say, listen, I got this. You don't need to worry your pretty heads. I got this. It's all good. After having to fire your coach, who was a crushing failure, is ridiculous and fails in 
every way to address the concerns of the team, to address the concerns of the donors, to address the concerns of the people who will be who are necessary for this program to rebuild. It was tone deaf at best. Well, Neil, I remember when I interviewed Lance Carl, the associate athletic director, about the hiring of Mel Tucker. So now we're back two coaches ago, which was all of three years ago. We talked about was there a search committee? He said it was a committee of two, namely himself and Rick George. And we talked about how that was part of his job as his associate athletic director. That I gave the example if he had an assistant tennis coach come in and say, hey, you know, I've got an opportunity to be a head coach somewhere. I'm out of here. Did you have names lined up that would be potential replacements for the assistant coach for the tennis team? And he said, that's, you know, there's 21st century of a Rolodex. He had things lined up and the thing would apply for the football coach. So are you trusting in the committee of two or perhaps expanded into I believe he said, former buffs that have agreed to advise me in this process. Are you willing to uh, put your trust in Rick at this point? I have a lot of respect for Rick George and what he has accomplished so far. He did hire Tucker. There was a constraint on, on hiring Durrell. I don't know that anyone could have succeeded under those circumstances, but I think his approach can be called into question. Uh, in that for two reasons. One, need some outside opinion, some outside advice, someone who is not afraid to pull punches with CU, Rick George and the administration about what they're trying to accomplish. And I am concerned somewhat that the search committee appears to be former buffs. Um, we tried that once before, back in 2011, it didn't work so well. And I would urge caution with that. And I think it's worth the money, whatever it is, a couple hundred grand, to try to get this right and try to get someone that fits here. That said, I think Rick George and whoever is helping him probably will be able to isolate names and, and identify good candidates. But so what? Maybe I'm getting ahead of the, the question here a little bit. I'll save most of it. But finding good candidates, they've got to be myopic, these candidates, if they don't see what they're walking into. Yeah. I mean, toward that end, you know, I'll give you guys another quote from Rick George. I promise you that I will work hard as hard as it possibly takes to return our football program to glory. Our athletic department has and will continue to provide the resources necessary for a successful football team. This place can and will be a football powerhouse. We have the facilities, we have the location, we have the programs, and we have everything that we need to be successful on the football field. Now, that, I mean, I, I, I couldn't help but chuckle at that good god i mean i understand you know you have to speak in superlatives when you're talking about your own program and yes cus facilities yes cus opportunity but compare compare this brad to what uh was reported on the cbs sports website this is from a, an article talking about candidates for the university of colorado CBS Sports spoke with several sources about the job Sunday. This is right after the firing of Carl Durrell. Without being prompted, all mentioned that commitment, consideration as a part of the job's profile. One quote, the complications are it's a difficult, complex landscape. It's different than most people think it is, said one coach familiar with Colorado. Said another coach, I wouldn't wish that job on anybody. It's hard to believe, this is not the quote, uh, this is back from the article, it's hard to believe that schools won a national championship, but currently Colorado doesn't know the conference it'll be playing in, it's recruiting is falling off. Now it's looking for its fifth coach since 2010. So the rest of the planet seems, Brad, to think that uh, Colorado has some issues and that Rick George's comment that we have everything in place might be a little bit of an overstatement. No, he's wrong. <laughs> I mean, just wrong. 
the administration from the president of CU all the way down to, you know, the new public information officer fails to fully understand how this college football landscape has changed. Rick George has had his head in the sand about NIL, about the transfer portal. It's, yes, finally, our facilities in terms of the athletes, probably as good as they need to be. The stadium needs an update. But in terms of commitment to football, in terms of commitment to recruiting, and what that means in 2022 in terms of paying players, and commitment to keeping players and what that means in 2022 is paying them more. We don't have that. And Rick George would like to pretend that's not part of college football right now, but it is. And the question is going to become in the very near future, can Rick George convince some good coach that that commitment is going to come and change and that it can be done in Boulder? Because the bottom line is, there are people in Boulder, there are people in the CU committee, CU alumni, there are people in the CU community who are not as comfortable paying players as the folks in the Texas A&M community are, the folks in the Clemson community are, the folks in the Alabama community are. So when you talk, when the CBS talks about how tough that job is, those are where the problems are. Those are where the severity is. And for Rick to flat out lie that we've got that is a frustrating reality. And if he if he thinks that we've got everything, he's naive. And if he does, and if he knows better, he should have said it. Yeah. Well, Neil, I'm going to give you two quotes from our Chancellor Phil DiStefano. Now, if Rick George's comments kind of made me chuckle, the Chancellor's comments made me want to cry. First comment, I want to stress that Carl's contract buyout will come from the athletic department's budget. None of the contract funds will come from tuition money, taxpayer dollars, or the campus general fund. This decision will have no impact on our ability to, for example, hire more faculty, support student services, or invest in research in academic programs. So apparently his audience was not the CU fan base or anybody having anything to do with football. His audience was the faculty that are going to be pissed that we're paying 8.7 million or whatever it turns out to be to Carl Durrell to leave Boulder. His audience was, hey, we pay all this for football. And his response was, don't worry about it. Our budget, our, not the football budget, but our budget at University of Colorado will not be affected by this move. Then it got worse when he was asked about the transfer policy. I don't think it's a matter of altering any of the rules and policies. I believe that you can have excellent academics and excellent student athletes coming together. They are not mutually exclusive. On the transfer piece, it's just based upon the degrees we offer and the way that faculty own the curriculum, they own the degrees. So when a student wants to transfer, for example, we don't have physical education here. We don't have general education. And to be honest, that's not going to change. What we must do is go out and recruit these student athletes from junior colleges who can play for us and can transfer in the credits. It may take a little bit more work, but I have confidence in our coaches to be able to do that. I mean, we've brought in transfers and that's worked. I think we'll continue to bring in transfers. It's just the transfers must have the transfer credits that will transfer. Oh my God. I mean, where do you even start with that? Neil, you have a, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm completely speechless as to those comments and I just want to bury my head in the sand and cry. Well, I'd like to be speechless about it, but there's so much in those quotes, Stuart, that I'm not sure how to unpack them. Um, I think Rick George sitting next to DeStefano, knowing how DeStefano feels, had to walk the line. I hope Rick George doesn't actually believe all that BS he was spouting. I think part of that was speaking to his boss. 
Um, De Stefano, his comments, he was speaking, of course, not to the football community, but to the faculty, to the legislature with regard to funding, because that would be a hard one to defend down under the Golden Dome Daycare Center. And I think he's trying to maintain this notion that CU is an elite Ivy League level school. And we just don't put up with credits that come from lesser schools. Well, Phil, wake up, pal. Schools in the AAU, in the Big 12, Big 10, and others in the Pac-12, guess what? They do the things that you refuse to do. They've maintained their academic status at a point of equal to or greater than what CU has. And at the same time, have been able to sustain competitive, if not commensurate performance in the athletic arenas. So I don't know who he thinks he's going to get to come in here and work under those impossible conditions. Thought experiment, bring Saban in <laughs> midsummer, have him do this. Is he gonna do any better than Durrell? Yeah, maybe a win or two. But with that talent, with those restrictions, no, it's not gonna be much better. So DeStefano to me was being deceptive and duplicitous insofar as he thinks that there's nothing wrong with the structure at CU, when in fact that is the central issue. And unless and until that is cleared up with, for example, PTD, progress toward degree stuff, until that gets straightened out, until CU gets on the same footing academically with regard to admissions as its peer schools, it will continue to be a scavenger and a bottom feeder that it has been over the last 15 years. So unless that changes, we're just going to expect more of the same. I'm sorry. No, no, that's uh, Brad. Do you want to chime in on uh, our chancellor's comments, either about uh, speaking to his base or about the fact that he thinks that all of our transfers are from junior colleges? I mean, here's the bottom line: there is an attitude, a strong attitude. It may be the prevailing attitude within the CU educational community within the faculty that allowing athletes, particularly football players to have some slightly lower admission standards somehow pollutes the entire university. It's unquestionably an elitist position for a university that remains. How do I put this? That struggles to admit students of color it begins to look bluntly like a slightly racist position. It is an idea that if we allow these lesser athletes in, that we have somehow destroyed the academic standing. Now, here's the reality. Cal tries it. Stanford does it. USC does it. UCLA does it. Vanderbilt does it. Other schools that are treated at least on equal equal terms academically to CU, and many of them superior to CU, manage to do it and not ruin their reputation or dilute the value of everybody else's degree. There is a subset of, and I don't know any other way to put it, deeply arrogant people to whom Stefano answers. And Unless some different attitude is presented by the president or the board of regents, and I don't think it's ever going to come out of the legislature, that's the way it's going to be. De Stefano came in and said he was required to be there, and he's required to be part of this process, and he's required to give lip service to the football team. But those statements make it very clear that if somebody above him and there's only really one person doesn't call him out and make this better, then nothing significant is going to change. That's a significant problem. And, you know, if we're going to take that attitude, then we should apply to the Ivy League and see if we can play Harvard. <laughs> okay. Well, well said. Let, well said, Brent. Well, let me, you know, for the purpose, for our listeners, kind of backtrack as to what the issue has become for Colorado that, uh, the NCAA has a rule about it's called the 40-60-80 rule, 
the NCAA requires second year in college, you're 40% of your way towards the coursework, towards a degree, 60% at the end of the third year and 80% at the end of the fourth year. All fine and good. So transferring in on that basis is partially an issue because of the COVID year and the four-year or four-game, you can still redshirt rule. So you've got bunch of red shirt freshmen right now they're actually juniors academically and don't have all the credits that they need mm -hmm. the problem is as neil mentioned it's the ptd you're gonna hear a lot about this in the next couple of months buff fans it's the progress towards degree and that's where the university of colorado has stuck its head in the sand and is making it impossible for cu to get players what they're talking about is that you have to have enough credits towards your degree, counting towards your degree in order to be able to transfer. So CU has trouble admitting other schools' credits. Now, some say that's because they want the money and they want you to go to CU and get you more credits there. So you have to pay more tuition. But what it amounts to is that if you don't have those count credits counting towards your degree, you can't get admitted to the University of Colorado. And uh, Adam Munster Tiger did an article for Buff Stampede. He talked about that there were 11 receiver, wide receiver transfers that CU was coveting in this past offseason. Only four of them got the green light to be recruited from academics. Not that they were not in good academic standing, but they did not have, in the eyes of Colorado, enough progress towards degree. And then it becomes a double edged sword because at the University of Colorado, in order to get a degree from the University of Colorado, a transfer must have 48 hours of credits taken at CU. So on one end, they're not counting the credits, but on the other end, if you actually do have the credits, you still have to have 48 hours worth of credits in order to get a degree from the University of Colorado, which would deter, I don't know, any student athlete who actually wants to be a student and graduate. Mm -hmm. So that's why the University of Colorado is burning it at both ends of the candle and can't get transfer recruits. And the only reason we're getting any recruits at all is that they're the old graduate transfers, which used to be the only way you could get transfers is if they get a five-year student graduated from their old school in four years, still had a year of eligibility left, and would transfer to a school that had a graduate program that their original school didn't have. Well, that was all fine and good, but that's not the way of the world anymore. Anybody can transfer anywhere at any time. So we're losing the young transfers and the only pool that we're actually getting to dip our toes into is the graduate transfer pool. I mean, if you look at what CU got during the Carl Durell era, graduate transfers 2021, Jack Lamb, graduate transfer, Robert Bards, graduate transfer, Max Ray, graduate transfer. This past year, Ramon Jefferson, before he went to Kentucky, graduate transfer. Josh chandler Semedo, graduate transfer. Chance Main, graduate transfer. Tommy Brown, graduate transfer. R.J. Sneed, graduate transfer. So not only is Colorado up against it from tradition of not doing well in the last generation of football and not having the anything other than some old dusty trophies to point at, but now you've got people that players actually would potentially want to transfer to Colorado, not being allowed to transfer to Colorado. Now, Brad mentioned other schools have found their way around it. What they do, they have not the general education degree that Chancellor DiStefano poo-pooed. They call it integrated studies. And what they do is that they let you catch up. You might not have the right number of credits progress towards degree, but they'll give you one or two years to catch up so that you can be making progress towards degree. The only school on your list, Brad, that you mentioned that doesn't do that, in addition to the University of Colorado, is Stanford. Now, Stanford has fallen off a cliff the last couple of years. Well, wonder why. Do you think that David Shaw has lost his ability to coach or has David Shaw lost his ability to keep players. Mm -hmm. So we have 
the Christian Gonzalez's of the world going out, the Mackay Blackman's going out, the Mark Perry's going out, the Stanley's, the Rice's, and we can't get anybody to replace them. And if the new coach doesn't have the ability to bring in transfers, we're all thinking, hey, we're going to get a new coach. We're going to be the next Arizona. We'll turn things around in a year. We're going to be the next Kansas. We're going to turn things around in a couple of years. The next coach isn't going to have the ability to do that. And sure. unless progress towards degree is altered at the University of Colorado, the next coach, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter who we get. They're not going to be able to win. They're going to be just going to spend the next three years wondering what the buyout's going to be for the next coach. 100% true. I mean, and let's face it, I love CU. I'm very proud to have two degrees from CU. I do not have the people do not treat them as equivalent to two degrees from Stanford or USC or Vanderbilt. The progress towards degree applies to all transfers. And it comes from a lot of different things, including the fact that 20 years ago, the legislature decided to they were no longer going to fund higher education in Colorado. Yeah. And, you know, if CU does this in part out of need to get more money, that's part of a much broader situation where CU is a self-funded institution, essentially. And the amount of money it gets from the state is, is nearly irrelevant. And so if they are making decisions in general to try to get more money to CU, they have to. If they are unwilling, however, to make any kind of exception for athletes, if they are willing, unwilling to make those exceptions for people of lesser, lower socioeconomic status, from people who struggle a little bit, that becomes a significant problem. It is an issue throughout the university. It is most obvious in how it kills football and to a lesser degree basketball. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. it, you know, Phil DeStefano is not going to get fired because he didn't hire the right football coach. That's the bottom line. I, you can look at the message boards. Hey, we need to get rid of DeStefano. We won't ever get this right. Well, that's not going to happen. Okay. DeStefano is popular with the people he needs to be popular with. And it ain't football fans. So at some point, as I said, Rick George needs to go to Phil and say, this isn't working. And then somebody above him or somebody with influence on DeStefano needs to emphasize that. And I don't know where that's going to come from. It's not, I think, going to come from the legislature or the governor. The Board of Regents have other things on their mind. This is a very complicated problem to solve, and it impacts the coaching higher 100%. You are completely correct. Yes, we'll, we will hire somebody, but I think anybody who has a great understanding of how college football works right now will take nearly any other job over this one if they can. Yeah. Well, Neil, we're going to pivot towards the person that's going to have to come in here and take this job. Let me give you a quote on what Rick George said, what he is looking for, and then tell me what you're looking for. Rick George said at the Sunday press conference, I want somebody that's high energy, that's a strong motivator, a very good leader, obviously having tremendous knowledge of college football, recruiting, all those different things. But I don't have any specific, this profile has to fit, this candidate doesn't fit. We're going to look at the very best coach that we can, that are great leaders, great motivators, that we're going to have to provide energy for this program. So apparently great leader and great motivator is very important because he said it twice. What are you looking for in the next CU coach? Well, that's rather a Panglossian view of what CU is going to be able to do. <laughs> um, sure, we want to look at all those things, all those qualities that make for elite coaches. But another characteristic that that coach will have to have is sort of a coaching career death wish. They want to come to Colorado. This is a graveyard for football coaches. So we can aspire to that, but the opportunity set that we have in looking for those people relative to the opportunity set that Michigan or USC or others have, ours is much smaller. 
it's tinier. Someone who would come under those circumstances would have to be, I think, and getting to your question now, someone that's young, that's looking for their first job and is willing to take a risk here that they can overcome all of these disadvantages. In terms of characteristics, uh, I think youth, enthusiasm, and the most important thing is being a great judge of talent, coaches and players, and have a certain magnetism, a certain presence like McCartney had uh, to be able to do it, or like Eddie Crowder had. But what he doesn't need to do is to be beholden to CU's notion that we're just a little bit away from going back to the glory days of 1990. and need a fresh start and try to find a young coach who has a cadre of young coaches with him who are willing to work hard under difficult circumstances. Okay. Well, Brad, let me, uh, it seems like Neil doesn't seem to think that head coaching experience is a prerequisite. Would a, a coordinator be good enough for you? Or do we, does Colorado have to have a head man that's had head man experience? I would prefer somebody who had head man experience, but it's not going to be head man experience to the FCS level. I mean, the, 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 the names that are getting thrown around, people who have been successful as FCS level head coaches aren't coming here. So we're either going to get Mel Tucker two, preferably with 23% more ethics, or, you know, the hot young coordinator at a good program who's willing to come here and make his bones, or the hot young head coach at some FBS school who needs to make, make a start and thinks that making a start in a power five, and we're still technically a power five school, is a lot better than starting in the American, okay? Or the WAC or the Mountain West. So, I mean, that's what it comes down to. We are not competing with Wisconsin. We are competing with schools in the non-power five conferences who are gonna to try to move up an FBS coach. That's where we have to aim for. I agree we need young. I agree we need absolute long-term experience in college football. The professional football exper experiments, Durrell and Embry, have not worked. And yeah. I think we know that. Yeah, hopefully, yeah, we're not going back to the NFL. Uh, and I think you were mixing up, you were reversing the FBS and the FCS. That we're, I apologize. Yeah, we, yeah, we're gonna we have might to end up with an FCS coach. Spot. We probably aren't going to get an FBS coach. Right. Uh, Neil, there's a lot of discussion as to ties to CU or not having ties to CU. There seems to be the camp that thinks that if you're going to coach at Colorado, you at least have to have some understanding of what it means to be at the University of Colorado and coach at the University of Colorado. Names, you know, like Ryan Walters, the Illinois defensive coordinator who obviously played here. Jeff Grimes was Brian Lindgren, Mark Helfrich. You know, those are names of people that have connections in the past of coaching or playing at the University of Colorado. How important is it to you that they have CU ties? Or are you one of those that believe that having no ties to the, you know, you're getting your fresh start that you mentioned, that having no ties to the University of Colorado is actually the prerequisite for being the next head coach? Boy, if it is, it should not be. I think candidates should be judged on their resumes and their capabilities and their prospects whether or not they went to CU is irrelevant if they can find someone that meets both characteristics it shouldn't be a barrier to hiring someone that has CU background but it's not a primary consideration at all it should not be a qualifying or or a disqualifying thing i'll stick with my fresh start something from the outside. We're not looking backward, we're looking forward. And someone who realizes that it's now a jungle. College football is a jungle. And it's sort of football Dar uh, Darwinism. One either adapts or dies. So we need someone who is adaptable to the current situation. Okay, Brad, in uh, looking at all the lists, are there 
a couple of names that might have jumped out to you as plausible or maybe just make it easier and say a couple of names that jump out to you that are like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. You know, we're not bringing Urban Meyer to the University of Colorado, you know, that type of thing. Are, are there any names that, uh, you know, you can dismiss out of hand or are there some names that you think might be intriguing? Um, you know, well, the two that always come up first are, that have to be dismissed just out of hand are Eric Bannamy, who wants to coach in the NFL and should coach in the NFL, and Troy Calhoun, who may or may not go to another school but ain't going to be here. You know, there, uh, Blake Anderson at Utah State has done some interesting things. Jeff Grimes, perhaps, at Baylor. Uh, if we're looking at the hot young coordinators kind of standard, I, you know, I hope those are the kinds of guys that get interviews. I hope those are the kinds of guys to get talked to. I'm not as excited about guys like Tom Herman, who will, it would only come here. Tom Herman's going to treat CU like he's slumming and, you know, and is going to be here only solely and 100% to build a resume. You know, that kind of thing. I think looking at past head coaches is not the right way to go about it. So I'm, you know, I'm kind of on the bright young coordinator viewpoint. Like I said, the best hire we've made in years is Mel Tucker um, because he understood college football. He understood how to coach college football. He understood how to recruit college football players. You know, the only question is how do you test for ethics, morals, (laughs) um, that kind of thing. And how do you get a contract that, will encourage them not to leave. You know, I was thinking as Neil was talking, and I agree that CU, a CU connection is should not be anyway the standard. But if you could convince yourself that a CU connection gave you a better chance to retain that person if they were successful, that's where the CU connection would play a role. I don't see anybody out there that meets that criteria. Right. Neil, um any hot young coordinators, if that seems to be the direction that we're leaning at this point, that stands out to you. I, I'm afraid, you know, the idea, you know, Mel Tucker was kind of an anomaly, not in the fact that he would go to another job, but he left after a five and seven record. But even Oregon is a stepping stone job. You know, Willie Taggart left for Florida State. Mario Cristobal left for for Miami. So perhaps it's okay for CU fans to wrap their heads around the idea that if we bring in a hot assistant coach, even if it's from the SEC or the Big Ten or the Big 12, that might go back to their roots if that turns out to be the case. If they can turn things around, like, you know, it's happened at Arizona, what's happening in Kansas, things like that, that it might not be altogether a bad thing. If they can get us back to being a bowl team and leave, at least then the next tire will be that much easier for the University of Colorado. So are we willing just to swallow that pill and say, I understand that we might get a coach, and if he turns out to be a great coach, we might not be able to keep him? Well, you raise a good point. And I think it it cuts against what I was saying about a totally fresh start. So if we have two candidates that we really like, one has CU background, and one does not, this deciding factor should be who projects to be the best fit over the next five years. And after that, uh, if loyalty is anything, maybe that's a plus, maybe that's something that tips the scale slightly. But three words about a young coach versus um, another head coach floating around out there, ex-head coach. And that is powder blue jerseys. (laughs) (laughs) There's an old reference that some people will get. Yes. Well, so yeah, you guys want to fill in around that. That's that's great. But (laughs) you know, there are a lot of guys out there that we could recycle. And I no, uh, unless they're just outstanding in in some way and just have more energy than we can imagine and just knocks everybody's socks off with his magnetism. I would say, let's go young and go fresh. And if we can find someone loyal to see you so much, the better. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to have lots of time over the next couple of months to discuss potential 
candidates, although Rick George, apparently from his quote on Sunday, is not going to give us a, a final five or you know give us any ideas as to who might be potential candidates. So we're going to have to just kind of root that out over time. So next week, we'll go back and we'll start looking at what's going to become of the Buffs the last seven games of the year with Mike Sanford as the offensive coordinator, now head coach for the interim and the game against Cal. So whether we want to or not, there's seven more games to be played in the 2022 season. And we'll get back to that with our next podcast. So thank you, gentlemen, for, uh, you know, coming in on your bye week, your off week to do a a podcast, especially to Brad, who thought he was going to have another week of vacation before he had to do another podcast. So thanks, guys. And we will we'll talk again soon. Go Buffs. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Stu. Thanks for listening to this special episode of the podcast. We will be back next week with our regular review preview podcast, taking a look at how the Buffs under interim head coach Mike Sanford, stack up against the visiting Cal Bears. I hope that you are subscribing to the podcast so that you won't miss any of the upcoming episodes. We have partnered with Mile High Sports and are proud to be part of their podcast network. As before, you can find the See What the Game podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and other podcast sites. Or, if you're not a fan of downloading podcasts, all of the episodes can be listened to at the See You at the Game website. Once again, I'll be back next week with Neil and Brad as we review the Arizona game and preview our tips for Buff's upcoming home game against Cal. So until then, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time when we will again see you at the game.